Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. Let's take our Bibles in hand and turn to the Old Testament book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 5, our text today, the entire chapter, all 23 verses, Proverbs 5, 1 through 23. The title of the message today, Wisdom and Sexuality, Avoiding the Snare of Sexual Sin. Now for the next three Sunday mornings, Lord willing, we're going to be studying what the Bible has to say about three unique areas of the human condition. Three areas that have caused many a person to make shipwreck of his or her life. The subjects are in order, wisdom and sexuality, that's today. Next Sunday, wisdom and alcohol. And then two weeks from today, wisdom and the sanctity of human life. And for those of you who are the parents of small children, please be aware that the Bible is very clear and open about each of these delicate subjects. So I plan to be as well, but you will want to parent accordingly. And we've chosen to have our children right here on the front row because I want them to hear exactly what the Bible has to say about this area of their life, avoiding the snare of sexual sin. Sexual sin is a trap. It's a snare uh, that once in is very difficult to extricate oneself from. You remember that the first nine chapters of Proverbs were written by King Solomon. And these Proverbs were written for the, from the perspective of a father giving godly advice to his son on the value of wisdom. But unfortunately for Solomon, and probably many of us, especially in this area, we know more wisdom than we practice. In fact, Solomon's life was a mess. He had many wives and a huge harem of concubines. He wants better for his son, Rehoboam. So he returns time and time again in the Proverbs to the subject of avoiding sexual sin. In fact, in the first nine chapters of the book of Proverbs, there are five extended passages on the dangers of sexual immorality. And our text today is the longest and and most detailed. And because of the length of the text, I've decided to divide it into three sections that we'll deal with one at a time. So our first section, verses 1 through 8, let's read it now. My son, give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe the discretion and your lips may reserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey. Smoother than oil is her speech, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house." May the Lord add his blessing, the reading and hearing of this, his word. And so you'll notice right at the very beginning, he says, listen, pay attention, my son. And then at the end of that first section, verse 7, he says, listen, pay attention, my son. They're bookends. They say the same thing. What I'm about to say to you and what I'm saying to you is very important. I almost get the picture of Solomon doing what every parent has done at one time or another with their children, putting his hands on either side of their faith and bringing them close in. And say, listen to what I'm about to tell you. This is important. And the reason Solomon ascribes such importance to sexual sin is he understands what a great danger 
And I would say what a unique danger is sexual temptation. Because it is such a great and unique danger, the Bible warns against it over and over in both the Old and the New Testament. In fact, Solomon here in Proverbs pictures what he calls a wanton woman, an adulteress, really a prostitute, enticing a young man into a trap or a snare that ultimately ends in death. In all five of those passages here in Proverbs I mentioned, that's how he addresses this person. And it really is a term for a temple prostitute. You know that in the pagan world, in the ancient world, uh, many of the idolatrous practices were connected to sexual immorality, and the so-called priestesses were really prostitutes. And so he's saying avoid these women. But I think in the context, he is using the metaphor of this woman to represent all sorts of sexual temptations. He calls her the strange or the adulterous woman. He begins to describe her, and he says, her lips drip honey. I take that, that she can use her words to draw him in. And that's what uh, a seductress does. She uses flattery. She uses a man's ego, or a man uses a woman's ego against her when the, 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 the script is flipped. He says, her words are smoother than oil. Now, we call this sort of temptation we're talking about today sensual temptation. The reason we call it sensual is because it allures us through our five senses, what we see, hear, taste, touch, and smell. For example, Solomon says here that um, through our ears, the seductress will tell us what we want to hear. Proverbs 2.16 says she uses flattering speech. Now, flattery is just another form of dishonesty. It's exaggerating one's positive attributes for your own benefit. You're so funny. You're so cute. You're the most handsome thing I've ever seen. All of these things feed a person's ego through his ears, but also through the eyes. She attracts with physical beauty and immodesty. Proverbs 5.25, do not desire her beauty in your heart. She even uses the sense of smell. Proverbs 7.17 says she sprinkles her bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. And of course, he's already mentioned her lips, which are sweet like honey, so inviting, so sweet. And then with her hands, she pulls her prey in. Proverbs 7.13, she seizes him and kisses him, and he's hers. The senses are a wonderful gift from the Creator, would you agree? We don't think about them until we begin to lose one of them. I've had to start wearing my readers more and more as the eyesight goes, and I can tell the ears aren't far behind. And so we, we realize when we start to lose our senses how important they are to us. But the senses, though a wonderful gift from God, if we do not engage them with our brain and through our heart, can lead us to ruin this is what Solomon is saying. Now look at verses 4 through 6. But in the end, he's just described her with all these vivid imageries of the senses. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps take hold of Sheol. See, sexual sin starts out as sweet as honey, but it ends in bitterness. It starts out exciting. It makes you feel alive, but it ends in shame and eventually death. Remember what Dr. Rogers always said about the Ten Commandments. When God says, thou shalt not, he's saying, danger, hot, avoid at all cost. And when he says, thou shalt do something, he's saying, help yourself to happiness. What we're talking about today is that God says certain things are off limits to Christians. 
because you'll hurt yourself and certain things are within the limits of Christianity and enjoy yourself. Proverbs 6.27, can a man take fire into his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Speaking of sexual temptation, we can't play with fire without expecting to be burned, speaking of our senses. Now verse 7 says again, listen son, he's saying I know what I'm talking about. Solomon didn't know what he was talking about, unfortunately, through his own experience and failures and sins. He knows that failure to listen to godly counsel, and I'm sure Solomon got plenty of godly counsel from David who had his own failures. Failure to listen to wisdom about sexuality is costly. And a wise person, when he is confronted with sexual temptation, counts the cost of that sin. In the New Testament, Jesus said a wise builder counts the cost before he starts a construction project. Similar way, a wise man counts the cost before entering into a sexual relationship. And Solomon is arguing with his own son. He's making the case that when you count the cost of infidelity, the cost of temporary pleasure is too high to pay. He doesn't try to convince Rehoboam that there's no pleasure in sexual immorality. He knows he's smarter than that. He says the price is too high to pay. Now, let's read about those high costs in our next section, verses 9 through 14. He's talking about this woman who is to stay far away from her door. He says, if you don't, you will give your vigor to others and your years to the cruel one, and strangers will be filled with your strength, and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of the alien, the stranger, and your groan will be at the final end when your flesh and your body are consumed. And you say... How I have hated instruction, and my heart spurned reproof. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers, nor inclined my ear to my instructors. I was almost in utter ruin in the midst of the assembly and congregation. Here are the costs that have to be counted in sexual temptation. They are many. Number one, though, he points out there could be a loss of honor and reputation. Now look at verse 9 or you will give your vigor to another. That is best translated, and is in many of your translations, as your reputation, your good name. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is to be desired more than great wealth. Favor is better than silver and gold. And so men and women, guard your reputation. Once it's lost, it's not easily regained. And we're not speaking in hypotheticals or theories here. Been a pastor for 25 years been on staff here for 21 years, and I can tell you there are men and women who were leaders in this congregation who are not anymore because of this sin. There are pastors in this community who are not pastors anymore because they failed to heed the warnings of Proverbs chapter 5. Many a person has lost their family's honor, their church's good name, and the Lord's reputation in their community because they did not count the cost. There's another cost of sexual sin, and that is financial. That seems sort of strange. And so Solomon seems to say, look, if you're not going to be faithful, if you're not going to forego fornication for any other reason, do so in self-interest, because it leads to financial loss. Adultery leads to financial loss. Look what he says in verse 10. Strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of the alien. All the things that you've accrued in your life working hard will be lost. 
Now, there's two fundamental ways that happens when a person is unfaithful in marriage. In the ancient world, and to some degree today, there's bribery. There's blackmail. When a person of prominence was found out to be in an adulterous relationship, the person who found out about it sometimes would blackmail that person and, and bribe them so they would lose finances that way. In our culture, I think the biggest loss is through divorce because adultery often leads to divorce, and divorce is financially ruinous. When I hear a man or woman in our church talking about they're considering a divorce, if they won't listen to anything else I say about why that's a bad idea, I, I go to this verse, and I say it this way, only the truly wealthy can afford a divorce because it will ruin you financially. Well, there, there's an even more important reason, even higher cost to pay, and that's in verse 11, and that's one's own health. Look what he says, and you will groan at your final end. That's on your deathbed when your flesh and your body are consumed. Well, that's pretty vivid, and I'm not going to be gratuitous and talk about the details of sexually transmitted disease only to say that it is the most underreported pandemic in our culture. The news media and the culture says a lot about the flu. They say almost nothing about the pandemic that is raging in our country of sexually transmitted diseases. And why is that? Because we know if the country knew the condition we were in, it would cause us to face our own behavior and our own sinfulness. And that is the last thing our culture wants to do. But it's not just the physical health that can be lost. This world is full of individuals who are fractured and broken emotionally because they failed to obey the Lord's word in this area. And so the costs are high, loss of honor and reputation, financial loss, loss of one's own health. But then the one that's most obvious to me is in verses 12 through 14, a life full of regret. Verse 12, and you will say, that is on your deathbed, how I have hated instruction. That is, I didn't listen. My heart spurned or turned away correction. I have not listened to the voice of my teachers nor inclined my ears my instructors. Do you hear the regret in the tone? I knew to do better, but I didn't. I have never met a man or a woman that committed adultery that came to me years later and said, Pastor, that was the best decision I ever made. Not once. Breaking the trust of my wife, who I pledged to be faithful to, to death do we part. Fracturing my relationship with my children and in many cases, grandchildren. And I hope and pray if, if, if those men that I've counseled in my office were to stand before you, that they'd all say the same thing to another man who is considering sexual immorality. It's not worth it. The cost is too high. Let me say to men, and especially young men, you cannot wait you cannot wait to make the decision to be pure in the heat of the moment. You have to make up your mind now before you're tempted because the temptation of sexual immorality is unique and it's too powerful once your passions are excited. That's why he says in verse 8, speaking of temptation, stay away from her door. Do not go near the door of her house. That's pretty vivid. You know where she lives. Stay away from there. And I know Christian young men, and in the name of purity, they'll say, well, here are my standards. 
Here are my fences. Here are my boundaries. And they put their toes right on the edge and stick their head over. That's not what he said. He said, stay far away from her house. That's the safe ground to be. Now, what are some examples of men who did that? How about Job you're studying about in Sunday school? Job says, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look on a woman to lust. He decided that before the temptation was before him. Joseph, that great young man in the Bible, when Potiphar's wife sought to seduce him, he ran away. And that is the right way to deal with sexual immorality, young men. You say, I thought the Bible says to resist the devil. It does, but it says flee fornication. 1 Corinthians 6, 18, flee fornication. Isn't that interesting? The Bible says resist the devil and he'll flee from you, but it says flee fornication. Now, you know, theologians say we humans deal with three areas of temptation. The world, that is the world system, the flesh, our own human nature, and the devil. And all three of them are real and dangerous, but the Bible seems to indicate that the human flesh in the area of sexual temptation is more dangerous than Satan himself. That's serious business. Flee it. Run from it. Get as far away from it as you can. Now, I want to change gears at this point. There are some of you who grew up in households that never talked about sexuality. Just wasn't done. And some of you grew up in households that talked a lot about sexuality in the wrong way. And some of you, when you heard sexuality talked about in your house, it was always from a negative point of view. And I want you to hear something today. Very clearly. The Bible says that sexuality is a good thing. It is a gift from God to humanity. It is one of his common graces. But like every good thing that God has given humanity, sin has soiled it and Satan has perverted it. But there's good news. God has a clear plan in his word for legitimate sexual expression. Let's read about it in our final section here, verses 15 through 20. Drink water, he says, from your own cistern, and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a, great, a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? That's our third point. We need to trust God's plan. So we need to know what God's plan is if we're to trust it. Listen closely. One sentence. God's plan for sexuality is this. One man and one woman in covenant marriage until death they do part. That's it. One sentence. Not hard to remember. And if you stay within those parameters, there is incredible freedom and there is incredible joy. But if you go outside of those boundaries, the Bible calls that trespassing, right? Which is another word for sin. When we trespass those parameters, you can expect trouble. You can expect heartbreak. You can expect pain. God gives us rules and fences for our own protection. And so long as we stay within them, we're safe. Now listen to the joy 
He's talking about the legitimate expression of sexuality. Verse 15, he says, drink water. That's a metaphor. Drink water from your own sister. That is in the context of marriage. Why should your springs be dispersed abroad? Verse 17, he says, let them be yours and yours alone. He's speaking of the exclusivity of marriage. One man and one woman, different in relationship than any other. And then he says in verse 3, and you may never have seen this in the Bible, he says, enjoy. Enjoy God's plan for sexuality. He says, verse 17, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let the fountain be blessed, that's happy, and rejoice in the wife of your youth as a loving hind and a graceful doe. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. That seems to be a command. That's what Paul said in the New Testament, let the marriage bed be undefiled. In the context of marriage, God's plan is beautiful and exhilarating. He's saying, be exhilarated by your wife, men. Not by someone on a television screen. Not a lady walking down the street. Reserve that for your wife. That's God's plan. And the final few verses, we find a warning though, don't we? He says, verse 21, For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord and he watches all his paths. If it doesn't move you, that if you disobey God in this area, you're going to destroy your reputation and your family's name and fracture all your familiar relationships. If it doesn't move you, that you're going to go bankrupt and lose your own health and eventually die if you don't follow the Lord's advice here, then at least remember this, that nothing you do is outside the gaze of God's omnipresence. For the ways of the man before the eyes of the Lord, he watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked and he will be held with the cords of his sin. People say, well, I'm afraid the Lord's going to punish me. Many ways, the way the Lord judges, he gives a person exactly what they want. They say they want illicit relationships. The Lord sometimes allows that and it is its own punishment. Wraps himself up in his own cords. He's talking about... Um, the, the, the natural consequences that come from disobeying God. You, you hang yourself on your own noose, so to speak. It's self-destruction. It's not God zapping you from heaven. And look, the reason I'm preaching this sermon today is not because I enjoy it. <laughs> I don't. It's because I love you. And I love my children. And because I love you and my children, I want you to avoid, and I want myself to avoid tragedy and disgrace, and dishonor, and sickness, and death. Verse 23, speaking of this man who ignores God's instructions, he will die for lack of instruction, failure to heed it. And in the greatness of his folly, he'll go astray. That is, he'll ultimately be lost. Now, it's not all bad. We talk about the gospel here, don't we? We talk about good news and I said that both Testaments of the Bible, we have instruction that are very similar. And one of the places in the Bible that, that we read about God's instruction is 1 Corinthians. So let's turn there, please, as we close. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I want to read to you beginning in verse 9. You remember that the Corinthians lived in a place obviously called Corinth, which was full of pagan temples. And in a similar way that Solomon dealt with pagan idolatry and immorality, so did these 
first century Christians. In fact, many of them obviously came out of those practices and out of those religions. But Paul is writing to remind them that they've been born again. They're new in Christ, that they are positionally righteous before God and forgiven, and therefore they ought to behave that way. They are not to continue in their old paths of immorality. And so he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, if I finished right there, and that was the end of this letter, that would be devastating, because that covered a lot of ground, didn't it? That's a broad swath of humanity that falls into those categories. In fact, I think he was thinking of individuals in the church at Corinth. They had representatives from every one of those areas of sin on their church rolls. But he doesn't stop there. He says in verse 11, Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our Lord. He says, you used to be that way. That's how you were known. Who's that person? He's a drunkard. Who's that person? He's a homosexual. Who's that person? He's an adulterer. But no more. You've been forgiven. You've been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. Now you are a Christian. Act like it. Be Christ-like in word and thought and deed. Because you're no longer that. And I would say to Christians here today, if you are dabbling in a relationship, you think it's innocent flirtation, that's a nonsense term. It does not exist. There's no such thing as innocent flirtation. Stay as far away from that as you can. If you're dabbling in pornography, men, stay as far away from that as you can. Women, if you're being seduced by a man at work, stay as far away from that. Quit your job if you need to, to save your family. Because you used to be that way, but you're not anymore. And when you joined this church, in a similar way as when you got married, you made certain covenant promises. You made certain covenant promises to every other member of this church. And we attempt to take church membership seriously around here. In fact, a few years ago, we realized we need to improve in that area. And so we rewrote our church covenant to address some of the issues of our day. And this is what your church covenant that you voted to approve says. Purity, hyphen. We strive towards moral purity by combining all sexual relations to biblical marriage and avoiding all immoralities such as lustful thoughts, pornography, homosexual relations, and illicit sexual activities. What we're saying is we recognize that sexuality is a good thing within the parameters and fences that God gave, and those parameters are simple. One man and one woman united in covenant marriage till death they depart. Everything outside of that is to be avoided. And our job as church members is to pray for one another, pray for each other's marriages, to help promote fidelity through our teaching, and to hold one another account into an account when we see a brother or sister being led astray. We owe that to one another. Now, would you agree with me today that we're going to do that moving forward? that we're going to pray for one another and our marriages, that the Lord would protect them, that we're going to do everything we can to obey God's principles and counsel 
in the area of sexual morality, and we're going to treat, uh, we're going to teach our children to do the same. If you agree with that, just nod your head with me, all right? Let's start right now. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word, and it is a difficult word. Things hard to talk about, but incredibly necessary. Lord, we live in a world that constantly tells us something very different, tells us every day that uh, there are no fences, no rules, no parameters. And Father, it has led our families and our culture into ruin, as you said it would. Father, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your mercy upon our land. I, I pray for repentance among our people. Lord, I pray for revival and awakening in every area of life, including this. And Lord, may we not wait until we've ruined our reputation as Solomon did to tell our children to go a different way because they learn more from our actions than they do our words. So, Father, I pray we would commit and covenant with one another to renew our marriage vows, not in action only, but even in our thoughts. And Father, I would pray for our young men especially. Guard their purity in their hearts. Pray for our young women, Lord. Help them to look for a marriage partner who's going hard after Jesus in every area, including this one. And Father, I pray for a person here today who has sinned in this area and is racked by guilt. I pray, Lord, that by your Spirit, you would draw them and woo them back to yourself. Because as the song said that we sang a moment ago, your mercy is more. Your grace is greater than our sins. And Father, if we'll come to you on your terms in humility and seek forgiveness, you've promised to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you for that. Lord, I thank you that there are representatives in this room of every sin that I read from 1 Corinthians 6 that you have redeemed and purchased out of the slave market of sin. Father, we ask you to do it again and again and again. Father, help us to renew our commitment to meaningful church membership. Father, that we take these things seriously, not from a spirit of judgment, but a spirit of love and grace. And Father, when that happens, when we see change happen in our church and community, we won't take that as an opportunity to boast, but to point to Jesus, who deserves all of the honor and glory, and in whose name I pray. Amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.